Hi, I'm Andrew Hargett. And I'm Logan Rice. And you've joined us on To the Choir Master, a podcast examining our heart posture in musical worship. All right, Logan, so uh, over the past couple of songs, we've been looking at a theme of worthiness. Uh, we've done two songs that very explicitly talk about that in the, in the title, even the worthy of it all, and is is he worthy? And uh, we've seen a lot of, of draws out of revelations, and uh, we've been pulling from all over the place. But uh, we wanted to kind of dig in with today's grace note a little bit more into that theme, maybe separate from... Uh, just tied to whatever song lyrics are giving us, because they're not really giving us the full picture, though, that we've we've gotten somewhere with it. But we wanted to, this week, uh, on the Grace Note, really say, well, what makes uh, someone worthy? And specifically asking the question of, uh, from God's perspective, uh, to to what does he ascribe worth? What What is, is he denoting as valuable? Um, and I think that that'll be kind of helpful, one, to, to see why Christ is considered worthy in the passage of Revelation, and then also looking at, well, then what does God see as worth something uh, for us to, to live like or in our lives? Yeah, yeah. Philippians 1.27 says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? Um, and so we're going to be looking at that from a, from a personal mm-hmm. standpoint, like you mentioned, as well as, uh, well, there's only one who is worthy of it all. So maybe, you know, it may be looking at the obvious, it may be looking at may, more of some subtle points, but what are the discrepancies in worthiness between us and Christ? What, why, why are we not worthy? Um, honestly, why are we not worthy in a culture that tells us over and over and over and over you are worth this. You are, you know, mm-hmm. you, you are valuable. You are loved. Now, that's not to say we're not. So it, it's going to be looking at a lot of things today. I'm super excited about it. We do have worth, but that worth is found somewhere else, uh, rather in someone else, rather than in our achievements or our capabilities. So super excited to kind of continue this theme today and, and look at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, then, and the stuff that we'll talk about today, this won't necessarily be all-encompassing. Uh, there, there are other things, but there's a pervasive theme throughout Scripture. Uh, anytime that Jesus is or is referred to as worthy, and so I wanted to really uh, kind of keep pushing in on that to see what that looks like. So I think the the most helpful thing would be to first uh, dig over to Revelation five, which is where we've been for a lot of the songs, and see what they're saying about his worthiness there. So in Revelation 5, uh, starting in verse 9, this is kind of really where we've been hanging out. A lot of the songs have been referencing this, and this is where we've got all of these living creatures with all these kind of weird animal features, and then you've got the 24 elders that we talked about are most likely looking like the uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles and representative of all of mankind, uh, or all of God's people, specifically within mankind, falling before the Lamb. And uh, we, we talked about how you got these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So that's where John is kind of helping to clue us in a bit into, here's what this metaphor means, and it also helps us to see, hey, there's a lot of symbolic and metaphorical language being used here. 
And then in verse 9, that's when we come to, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so, uh, right off the bat, one of the things that I have been really trying to look at uh, in the class that we talked about uh, during the break, and then um, just something uh, that's been really helpful for me in specifically like arcing scripture and looking at how different phrases and propositions relate to one another, is to take those logical connector words very seriously. And so, verse 9 gives you that four. So it says, worthy are you to take the scroll? For you were slain. And so I guess looking like the, the obvious answer then is what makes Christ worthy according to this passage in Revelation 5? Right. Yep. It was that sacrifice on the cross. Um, is the blood of Jesus. Christ was slain on the cross. And then, you know, continuing in verse 9, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so you see all throughout the New Testament and Jesus' walk. Um, and leading up to the crucifixion, and then after. This is not something just for a certain group of people. Um, mm-hmm. Paul went to the Gentiles, Peter went to the Jews. Uh, th- this, is not, this is not segmented. This is all people, and, and the reason why it can be for all people is because of the blood of Jesus that was shed. And mm-hmm. so because of that, he is worthy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really an interesting passage when you see there's this juxtaposition happening where this this person is held in the highest place of esteem and worth for being slain. And then the second part of it is, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign in the earth. And so the you know the thing you might would expect is, you know that um, you are worthy and you shall reign on the earth. Mm, and yeah. what you're actually given is worthy to take a scroll for you were killed and they shall reign. And so there's this huge juxtaposition going on where somehow in God's economy and God's mind, worthiness is such that uh, there's a lowliness that's happening and a actual giving over of the ability to reign to all tribes and languages and peoples and nations. And so I just thought it was really interesting when you see that, that you would expect, and I think, you know, if you've grown up in Christianity, you, you might, you kind of become numb to this a little bit, but the, the, mm. the natural expectation would be, you're worthy, so you will reign. And Revelation 5 comes, he's worthy, so people will reign. And it's just, yeah. it's just I think that helps to bring in a piece of what worthiness looks like. Yeah, it's the upside-down kingdom. Um, I, I agree with you with the, uh, you know, if you've, if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you've just grown up in the church, this idea is, is something that is kind of ingrained in us. But, but just thinking about, especially for the times in which the Bible is written, where, where kings and rulers were far more prominent um, in the sense of, uh, I'm going to lead with the iron fist and this is where we're going to go, to see something like this where you have somebody with all of the power, all of the authority given him under heaven and earth, mm-hmm. delegating that power out through his death. And that's just, that's just unheard of. Uh, and so, yeah, God's economy and, and God's means of, of hierarchy and structure are completely different than ours. 
Um, and even mm-hmm. today, this this idea of climbing to the top of the ladder, uh, you know, the corporate ladder to become the CEO or whatever it may be that you're trying to rule over, um, this just kind of spits in the face of that. Yeah, yeah. We we don't think of worthiness as somebody who makes other people great. Right. And yet, that's what this seems to be pointing toward. Yeah. So, so if we've kind of established... Christ's worthiness is because of a laying himself down and delegating that power out to others to reign with him rather than him being the ruler. Um, what what then do we do with that definition? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, good question, and it's something that we'll kind of as we look at a bunch of different scriptures, we can continue to unpack. Um, but like you kind of mentioned, um, living in that manner worthy of the gospel and the gospel at its core is a story about that about that laying down despite unworthiness of other people and it's a it's a god coming in to elevate the unrighteous at the sake uh or at the expense of the suffering of the righteous hmm. been looking a lot at job and that's like what's really interesting about job is you start to see that's the actual story of job uh, when you, my brother and I were talking about this just uh, yesterday, where we're like, hey, you know, people focus on the first three chapters of Job and then the last chapter, but there's like 38 chapters of just yeah. uh, conflict between Job and his friends. So we're like, yeah. so that's probably really important. And so then the resolution at the end that most people look at is just, oh, well, Job got double of everything, and he did. And and there's a degree to which he was exalted and he was honored for what he what happened to him. But if the actual conflict is maybe the 38 chapters of him having these fights with his friends, then one of the key pieces of resolution in Job is the fact that his friends come to him and say, hey, so uh, your God said that he was going to kill me if you don't pray for me. And so what you see is Job prays for his friends, the righteous person interceding on behalf of the unrighteous, Mm. And and they are spared and they are brought into a correct understanding of God and and we can kind of you know run with where that might have led them and so but it's just a it's an interesting thing where you see like that is uh, Job is kind of giving us that example also of like how we ought to be where um, we ought to lay aside the honors and stuff that we are due uh, knowing that we will receive those in eternity but for the sake of other people. Yeah, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so we we are now called to mimic Christ, and, and Christ had every right to come in and mm-hmm. rule however he pleased, all, all the authority, yet he expressed mm-hmm. his love by laying his life down for us. Therefore, you know, to use the words we're saying, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so in a similar manner, we're called to, we, we are made righteous yeah. through the blood of Christ. And what's the action item of that? Not to go around and taught our newfound righteousness, mm-hmm. because it's not anything of ours. Um, we're called to, we're covered in the blood of Christ, we've been made righteous in God's eyes, and now we say, go do the same thing. Go lay down your life for other people. Yeah, that's the whole idea behind that parable uh, that Jesus tells, where the 
the the man doesn't forgive the person below him even though he's been forgiven by his master and and one of the principles underlying of all of that is that hey this has been done for you so that you can now go and do it for other people and um so that's i think that that can extend beyond just the forgiveness of debts and into uh, even even into positive things now of laying down uh you know proactively for others so Let's keep camping out just for a second in Revelation 5 because there's another um, uh, song or another you know section of song about the worthiness of Christ. Um, so Because in verse 12, if we were to continue on, it says, uh, Worthy is the land who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so one thing that I just thought was so interesting about this when you pair these two things together is that it's not saying worthy is the lamb because of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing it's saying to receive these things and um again you know looking back to just like what what might songs of praise have looked like to leaders you know the roman authorities back in the day or to to you know to our day what you know what things do we value uh, today we we value those things: power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing, and uh, I just think it's so interesting that the the whole sense of the gospel to me is one of those things where it's less that these things cause this, and more so that the cause of the gospel brings about these things. And so for for the gospel, it's it's less so that us you know following. Uh, these laws and things like that lead us to salvation, and more so that salvation enables us to follow those. And I see the same thing going on with worthiness here, where it's less so that power and wealth and wisdom lead to worthiness, and more so that the submission of being slain and brings about a worthiness that leads to power and wealth and wisdom. And so I, I just think that's so, it's such an interesting thing where, again, you mentioned the upside-down kingdom, and that, I think that just helps... Uh, strengthen that for me. Yeah, no, I love that, and th- this is the uh, this is the the area where the line is drawn between the things that we get to share and the things that we give away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know we've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. That doesn't mean that we are now uh, the ones receiving the power, wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. We're called to to reflect this, de- or we're called to deflect this onto mm-hmm. Christ. Because if if, Andrew, if I look at you and I see something worthy of, of praise, if I see righteousness, if I see goodness in you, well, that's only because of the work that Jesus is doing in you. And so when I see you, I'm seeing Jesus, Christians, little little Jesuses is, is what mm-hmm. Christians are um, or are supposed to be. And so we, we now say, hey, this is, this is not of me. This, this goes to the Lamb, and, and He was slain for us, and so... He's he's worthy to receive these things. I'm not worthy of that wealth and wisdom and and might and and honor and glory and blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, so just an interesting thing. I, I hope is helpful coming out of Revelation. Um, kind of maybe to to start to pivot a little bit more. So we started with the question of what does God find, you know, to be uh, worthy or you know worth uh, ascribing value to. And uh, so these these songs, you know, this is scripture, so this is God's word. Uh, but these, you know, these songs are coming from the elders. 
Um, there is uh, an instance that came to my mind of when God is speaking directly and verbally to Jesus uh, in the Gospels. And this is recorded in uh, basically um, at least all of the synoptic Gospels. And uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to look at that. And so I'll, I'll pull out a Mark 1 just because this is, uh, this is where I have been uh, personally uh, reading um, over the last, uh, last couple of months. But so basically to kind of summarize what's been going on here, in Mark 1, Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, he goes to John the baptizer to be baptized. He does get baptized. You have where as he's coming out of the waters, the heavens are being torn open. The Spirit sends on him like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven, and so this would be out of uh, Mark 1, 11, and the voice coming from heaven says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so I think this is really interesting because we see God is saying, I am pleased with my Son, and I guess the question is, what what is he pleased with? What is I mean, being pleased to me is kind of a similar thing as he's saying, you know, this is worth something to me. This person is worth something to me. So I guess, you know, what What has Jesus done at this point that is where God is pleased with him? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I, I Personally, I think twofold. One, um, I think it's an, it's an honoring of his submission of the first, you know, 20-some-odd years of his life of uh, just submitting to the laws of, of man, of, uh, physics, I guess. I mean, you know, like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, the, I'm trying to think of the right way to say <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, of just, of just being a human. I mean, he's, he lived a sinless life. Well, that wasn't just from sinless from the time he started his ministry until the time that he died and, and resurrected. He lived a sinless life from birth until now. So, so part of me wants to go to and say, Hey, like mm-hmm. I'm well pleased with you because you listen to your mother and you talk with me daily, even in your youth, and you were a great carpenter. The The second thing, I think the more, um, the thing that makes me think this more is a submission to John, um, to, to come to John and say, you know, I, I need to be baptized. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for the, for the Lord of all creation in the, in, in the flesh to come up to a man and be baptized and, and be raised up again, that that's, that's a laying down of life for me in my eyes of just the idea of of a man baptizing the Christ. I was say, yeah, he comes and he's basically saying, you know, I, I need to do this uh, not because I'm unclean, but for the sake of others. So I mean that you know, yeah, he that's a humbling of himself for sure. Yes, yes, an extreme humbling, and then even looking forward, knowing that this this baptism is a humbling of of Jesus' self. But it's not the the lowest he's going to get for the mm-hmm. sake of his people, and so maybe uh, God looking down and saying, "I'm well pleased with you because I, I see what you've done, I see what you're doing, and I know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you are my beloved son." So could be off with that, but that was that, that's kind of where my mind took me with it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of kind of the same direction as I was thinking because what's interesting is at this point. You know, Mark's gospel kicks straight in, uh, so you don't really see a lot of the backstory. But at this point, Jesus has effectively done nothing uh, from a standpoint of miracles, right? There's no tossing of the tables in the temple. He hasn't raised Lazarus uh, uh, back to life yet. He hasn't healed blind people. 
Um, you know, as far as we know, at, at least, yeah. you know, as far as the gospels Publicly, care to record, this is all, yeah, this is all future stuff that's going to happen. And so at the point of this being said, of God saying, I'm well pleased with my beloved son, there's not much, uh, like you mentioned, there's been, you know, 20, 30 years of just being human and then the coming forth and saying, I'm going to do this for the sake of other people. And so I think that's exactly what's going on. I think uh, God's looking to that. Um, that The line, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, is a really interesting one because it's kind of a partial quote out of several different passages in Scripture that it's being all smashed together. we got Psalm 2, uh, uh, verse 7, where the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And so that's kind of drawing out this royal line of David uh, theme from this. So there's a sense of, of ro- royalty. And then yet the begotten, the beloved son idea is being drawn from the story of Abraham in Genesis 22, uh, where he goes to sacrifice Isaac, whom he loves, or his beloved son. And then Isaiah 42 talks about, behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. And so when you put all of these things together, you, you see a, yet again this juxtaposition of Jesus being this royal seed of David, yet there's a looking forward to the sacrifice like Abraham with Isaac that's going to happen, you know, of, of this highly loved item or person. And then the Isaiah passage is all about this suffering servant that God delights in. And so you, you really start to see that yet again, God's delight is bestowed on someone who is of a position of high authority, humbling themselves for the yeah. sake of others. And I think I think you brought in a really cool nuance with the the John the Baptist because I hadn't really thought of that before. But you're right; like he's basically coming in, and his first act of submission is saying, "I don't actually need this, but I'm willing to do this thing for the sake of others seeing that this is the right thing to do." Well, imagine how John felt. I mean, this is the same John that says, somebody is coming soon whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. So you you have an acknowledgement that the dirtiest part of this person, like I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. And then that same man comes to John and says, baptize me. Like Mm -hmm. John recognized Jesus's position in all of this. And, and man, what, what an incredible moment it must have been for John to see that humility lived out of, I'm mm-hmm. unworthy to tie his sandals, and he's coming to me so that I may baptize him. Like, man, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. We just, uh, for our church reading plan through John, we just read the, um, the washing of the feet story where yeah. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And it's kind of the same thing where they're all like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! This, this, this shouldn't be you doing this. And yeah. I, I, as we're digging through this theme more, that's where you know it makes more sense when Jesus is like, "You don't understand. This is actually how the greatest worth is given is through yeah. people saying you shouldn't be doing this, and him saying, "Yeah, I know. That's why I'm doing it." And um, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. So, so we we see you know walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians four one. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of God, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. So we kind of have, here's, here's Christ's worthiness. You look at Revelation 5, we've unpacked that. 
God delights in someone of high position humbling themselves. Mm-hmm. We're called to walk. So what are some practical ways that we can humble ourselves and and wash each other's yeah, feet? Yeah, yeah. And in uh, just a second, I was, I was thinking I'll bring up Philippians 2, and I think that this will help expound it some as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, it depends on every situation a little bit of what this looks like, but the core of it is out of that yeah. Philippians 2 of having having the mind where you're thinking uh, less about yourself. So like in Philippians uh, 2, 3, mm-hmm. it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And so I think that that is a kind of a summary for whatever situation you find yourself in, uh, humility and ultimate like worthiness looks like saying, you know, in my mind, I am of the you know the, the most important person, and yet I'm going to set that aside and count others as more significant than myself. And so that could look like a lot of different things. That could at, you know at work. There's lots of lots of opportunities for things like that where. It's really tempting in all situations for me to try to jump into meetings and demonstrate that, oh, I really know what's going on and I, I'm the person that's responsible and that everybody should be looking to. And, you know, it, it's kind of a silly example, but, you know, even in that case, what's fascinating to me is like it ends up being such that you, you that comes across that way. And so you actually don't end up getting the honor because you look kind of like a jerk, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to me just to see yeah. that these principles actually work in life. But I think with same thing with, with your yeah. spouse, uh, with friendships, all sorts of things, there are constantly opportunities where, you know, you're thinking about, this is what I want to do. And there are opportunities where, where God's delight comes in us all looking to one another and seeing how we can build that person up. Yeah. It's not scripture. C.S. Lewis Humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. And and so you know, he he probably ripped that straight from Philippians too. Of th- mm-hmm. this is not this is not a beating down of myself. And and, and that's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. Humility or 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 Christ's worthiness and us not being worthy is not. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm nothing. I'm useless. And I think the the response to maybe some of that fallacy is um, where we find this: you are worth it. You are enough. And I I I'm fine with that. I just wish they would add like comma in Christ. Like you are enough in Christ. You are valuable in Christ. But that's a tangent. But but this mm-hmm. this idea of humility is not. I'm terrible. I'm no good at this. Right. When you're in your work meetings, humility is not. Well, I'm actually the worst engineer in this room. Like that's not humility. Um, humility is, hey, I, I actually am a pretty darn good engineer, right. but how can I how can I position myself in a way that by me being in this meeting, other people see the love of Jesus through me being willing to serve them, and that's what humility is. And so I just want to bring that up. I, mm-hmm. I, I love I love C.S. Lewis's quote. Um, and, and so often I think we've misconstrued yeah. what humility is of just this, um, this convincing yourself that you're worthless or bad or whatever it may be. That's not really humility. Um, humility is, is understanding where you are on the, on the 
rank, if you will, and saying it doesn't matter where I am, whether I'm at the very lowest or if I'm at the tippy tippy top, my my role is to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, not try to get my way in everything and look to others' interests and say, how can I, with the gifts that God has given me, how can I use those gifts well to serve them and to love them and to show Christ through my work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good point. And yeah, it's I, f- I find it difficult to come up with examples, you know, just because it is something that can be so pervasive uh, through all aspects of our life. And I, th- I think it's one of those things where we ultimately, we all know what this looks like. Yeah. It's just a, it's hard to actually live it out you know and i was thinking you know you know we have a lot of worship leaders and stuff that listen to the podcast right so you know there's there's all kinds of things where you know even in that setting like you know the for everything from the the ways in which you prepare and show up on time and the uh how you act in in that situation all of those things can be one where you're either looking to your own interests of of the things that you want, or you can be looking to what's going to bring somebody else more peace, uh, what's going to reduce their anxiety levels, what's going to give somebody greater joy, uh, all of those types of things. And it's, I think the ultimate thing is uh, just looking constantly for those types of questions of this person I'm about to interact with, what's going to increase their joy, their peace, what's going to reduce uh, you know their stress and all of that kind of stuff, and and ultimately, like you mentioned, what's going to be a way that I'm going to demonstrate and show them more of Christ, because that's ultimately what we know will bring about more peace and more joy and less stress. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you're talking directly with, to me on that one with with the being on time, <laughs> um, because I, yeah, I mean, I mean, but I mean, all in all actuality, like that is a way that I can show the love of Christ. And it's so easy for me to go, man, are we really going to start mm-hmm. on that time? Do I really need to be there? I just play acoustic. Like I just literally just plug a quarter inch and go like, I don't need to be there. But what that is, is that's looking to my selfish ambitions of more rest, slower morning, whatever it may be. And that's putting aside the, no, like there's a call time for a reason. And there's a reason why we're called to, you know, we're, we're instructed to learn our songs and to know the words. It's not because we have to, but it's because we, we get to show others around us that we love Jesus more than ourselves, And through that, we love people mm. more than ourselves. Um, and, and so, yeah. You're, you're, you're convicting me on that one. <laughs> well, uh, let's continue on a little bit with that Philippians passage, uh, just because I, I find this all very helpful. So um, this is where uh, Paul is coming, and we said that uh, verse 3, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. And you know, 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he's going to go and now give a reason for why. Why ought we do this? And this is kind of what we've touched on before, but I find this helpful because it's going to take what we looked at before, and Paul is going to bring it all the way to the cross. So in um, uh, verse 5, chapter 2 in Philippians says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so, you see here exactly what you mentioned whenever we asked about uh, the Mark passage of, you know, what has Jesus done? You're like, well, he became a human. And that's, that Paul is basically, he spends a couple of verses like, yeah, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And uh, then Paul's going to take that all the way to the cross and say, therefore, he's been bestowed this highly exalted name. Yeah, it's, it's, it truly is a picture of Christ's humility from the get-go to the cross. And like you mentioned before, uh, being slain is now what leads to that, that worth. It, it, it's it's um, mm-hmm. at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth, right? So you see this, therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name of every name. He, he was crucified, died, suffered on the cross, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Like the suffering, the slain, the being slain, mm-hmm. the crucifixion, ultimately is why Jesus is worthy because he did what nobody else could do. He, he accomplished what no one else could accomplish. It's why all of the worth is found in him because he came, he humbled himself to the point of, of, of being a human. He lived a sinless life. He took his sinless body to a cross to be the perfect sacrifice that we could never be and, and humbled himself to the point of death, complete death. And then the resurrection happens and, and he is, he is worthy of that. So that, that's, it's just a beautiful example of the gospel that we see, you know, just in a, in another light of Christ's worthiness is because of his sacrifice. And because of his sacrifice, we can now join in that righteousness and rule with him. And because of that, we're now called to mm-hmm. mimic him, mimic Christ's example of leadership, which is serve others, love one another's, lay your life down for others. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think the one of the words you, you mentioned the we can now is really critical because that's really what Paul's whole argument is in this section of Philippians is is it's not that a in order to obtain this you have to do this it's a now you can you know he's, this this is yours in Christ Jesus yeah. to be able to do this that's uh, kind of what he's getting at in verse five and then he goes on you know in twelve therefore. My beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He, he's he's saying, you know, because of this, you are now able to do these things. And I think that that's what's critical is once we see that true power and wisdom and wealth and all of this comes out of laying down one's life, that enables us to do that. And um, whereas, you know, before before Christ or apart from Christ— it's 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 just not possible because our we we have nothing to look look to to say and see the benefits or to see the actual power or any reason for this you know the the base and natural way of of people moving would be toward right. selfish desires and uh Christ actually comes on the scene and demonstrates there's an alternative to just doing everything for yourself yeah and it's actually better 
and um, and so I I just think it's it's really neat, and, and especially when you see like you know Paul is is really trying to 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 bring Jesus from God all the way down to death on a cross, and showing that it's because of the the mass uh, massive just like juxtaposition between this high point and the lowness that he's been humbled to that he's worthy of of that sort of honor and so i think we ought to also be called of of remembering that we we ourselves also um are at a relatively high position yeah. in creation you know you know we've been made a little lower than the angels and so um, there is great potential for us to be uh, humbling of ourselves and uh, great posi- great potential for honor and worthiness uh in in and throughout eternity uh again to to reign as God's representatives yeah. in the new creation, um, but that's something that we we've got to take a hold of now um, through the work that Jesus Christ has done. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, um, you said the crazy thing is like this works, like this works in the workplace or this works in life. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's interesting is now we're kind of starting to see other people realize that um, you have you know servant leadership the power of giving away power. You have all these Mm -hmm. like, hey, here's how to be a servant leader. The interesting thing is, is that this is happening um, outside of Christ for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like these motivations are like, hey, I I don't really know why, but servant leadership works. Like I was listening to a podcast last night and uh, I was talking with one of our friends and I was just like, man, like this guy sounds awful lot like a Christian. And Mm -hmm. uh, Andrea was like, yeah, someone needs to tell this man that he loves Jesus a lot. He just doesn't know it. Because the whole yeah. conversation is like, well, we we need to serve others around us. And and it, there's actually power in giving away power and, and showing other people that love. And then uh, the guy asks, well, like, well, why do you think that is? He goes, well, I think humans are just animalistic in nature, and we love to be together, and we love to see that, and like that's how we were made. It's like, Oh man, like you're like it's just so close. And so the the beauty of this is like we actually live in a culture where we see this. So I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. it easier or more difficult to show the love of Christ because now you have, well, are you being a servant to me because you love Jesus? Or are you being a servant to me because like you read a book and this is actually like reverse psychology of how to get your way? Um, but it's just so interesting to see how like these principles that are founded in Christ and how he lived his life are now being like utilized by business and by uh, the culture around us. Um, and, and, and some are doing it because they say, Hey, this is how Christ did it. I'm going to do it. Um, and, and some aren't, but there's just a beauty in like, man, even, even those who don't even know they're looking like Christ or looking like Christ, wh- whether they realize it or not, um, it's just kind of an interesting mm-hmm. thing to see. Yeah, yeah, you you want to tell these books? Hey, this there's already a book about this. Yeah, and hey, this isn't a novel <laughs> idea. Read Philippians yeah. two, like this is your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because, yeah, you know, you you wanna you wanna say, oh, you know, all of this stuff in this book is, you know, it's rele- it's only relevant, you know, post this age, and and it's just not true. Like there's a there's so yeah. much wisdom about how to live now in a way that is is works for the kingdom and. And it's it's also just this is this is the 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 way to the fullest life now, you know, like yeah. the idea of the kingdom is is coming, but it's also here now, and so we can actually experience a piece of that fullness 
by living in this type of way now. And in, in the new creation, uh, when that comes, you know, when, when God's people are more fully shown and able to live in this type of way with one another in total selflessness, you know, that's when that's when it will be you know will experience how how much this works when every yeah. person is looking only to the interest of others you'll see exactly how much this works but we can experience a piece of that uh, here and now and that's one of the benefits of church bodies and and yes. brothers and sisters in Christ is we have a group of people uh, who didn't have to read some self help book but that can that are that in theory they are at the church building because they want to demonstrate this type of love to one another. Yeah. And so I think the, to the degree that the church uh, understands that, we'll be able to live in that abundance and fullness of life now. And ultimately, that's how we are participating in the exaltation that God is giving Jesus, is by uh, a dying to self, right? Like a laying down of our life, um, not not just for the sake of laying it down, but for the sake also of knowing and being assured that it will come. You know, he in Hebrews yeah. it talks about how he, Jesus did this for the joy set before him is why he endured the cross. You know, he he understands that this is the route to the fullest exaltation, and so I think that that's something that we can also look forward to is that this is the route to the greatest joy uh, that's available to us both now and in the age to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andrew, it's been a blast looking at um, this topic with you today on the Grace Note. Uh, we're going to kind of continue along, um, maybe a more eternal perspective moving forward, looking at a song with Elevation, and then uh, the week after that, one of our favorite songs by Phil Wickham um, that's come out recently. And so we're going to kind of shift from this worthiness. We're kind of we're kind of looking very eternal-minded with in Revelation, but we're really going to kind of shift that to uh to the songs coming up so looking forward to that um but yeah this this was a blast to look through and and really enjoyed um looking through it with you today yeah yeah it's fun any uh these theme studies are are really interesting and and doing like word studies and like looking through scripture of like where all is this being talked about helps you put a full picture together and helps solidify more of it's hey there's not just this one verse saying that this is how you ought to live it's actually something that's pervasive throughout scripture both coming right. from the words of of you know the apostles and and God himself and from uh you know these angelic beings all of this stuff and so yeah very neat to look at fantastic well hey if you like this conversation uh thanks for joining us and uh we have conversations like this every other Thursday sometimes it's just Andrew and I um, other times we have guests on the podcast and um, on this Grace Note series. And then every Tuesday we look at songs that we're likely singing on Sunday morning or soon will be singing on Sunday morning or maybe have sung on Sunday mornings back in the 1800s. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but we're looking at all the songs in between and, and really looking at our heart posture and musical worship. So if you like what you hear, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to good podcasts. Um, feel free to find us on social media. Give us a like. Uh, Give us a comment. Let us know what songs or topics you'd like us to look at. And we'll be back here again on Tuesday.